0: Ladies, gentlemen, non-binary folks, thank you so much for tuning into the episode today. This was an amazing conversation about mental health, and it's much like many interviews that are going to be happening in the future. Head on over to patreon.com backslash with to get early access to episodes, future merch, Um, You could sit down and have a drink with me one-on-one. We could talk about whatever the fuck you want to talk about. Pick my brain about whatever. I'll pick your brain about whatever. It would mean the fucking world to me. I'll just jump into it if you're good with that.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Today we have Christian James studies. Um, let's see, drug and alcohol cognitive behavioral therapy. I don't know what any of that means.
1: <laughs> so um, we'll kind of break it down from the beginning. Um, I got my my bachelor degree in one in psychology and one in family studies. And so family studies is pretty much the study of pretty much human development. Uh, so okay. I spent several years kind of studying from embryo up to death, what it looks like, how the people work why they behave. Why do you do the things that you do? Um, oh, wow. Obviously, with psychology, that studies the focus on the brain, how the brain develops trauma, how it impacts the brain. Pretty much all the ways that your brain can go right and wrong. Um, OK, and so the,
0: sorry to interrupt you. When you say trauma, you, you mean like um. Like, physical trauma or, like, trauma dealing with relatives or friends or both?
1: Trauma can be a lot of things. It can be the environment, growing up in a hostile environment, even major cities. Um, One thing I wanted to look at, but I didn't get a chance to stay with my professor, is we were going to look at the impact that uh, sound pollution has on cognitive development. So being in a city with a lot of sounds and from birth up through teenage years, early adulthood, does sound major sounds, constant gunshots, or even just loud noise construction and all that does it have a negative impact on the brain. Could be traumatic. Um, Could be physical abuse, could be sexual abuse, um, could be just stuff you watch on TV. There's a lot of things that can be considered trauma. Wow. I never would have guessed like
0: construction could be a contributing factor.
1: I just, I kind of thought about it one day we were sitting in class and it was because I got thinking like when you live in major cities, you're constantly hearing horns blaring and people yelling. And I yeah. just kind of got to thinking, is there any way that that could impact the way the brain is structured, the way the brain develops versus living in a suburb area or living out in a rural area where you have a lot less noise pollution? Does it play an impact? So I'm like, that's some I'm... One to check out maybe in the future, but definitely not today. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Study.
0: That, I mean, that's an interesting thought experiment in itself, because, you know, I travel around doing a lot of work and stuff like that. And, um, you know, we'll go out into the, the outskirts of the city and stuff like that. And one of the first things that I noticed when we get out there, I you know, I tell coworkers, I'm like, it's so quiet out here. It's so quiet. And that's usually the first thing that I take notice of is how quiet it is. And I live right. very close to a railroad track and like, I don't even hear the trains anymore, but there's also a college very close by and I hear construction all the time. And it's very, I could be traumatized.
1: Yeah. And so <laughs> when you think, cause you gotta think about how how it, well, And this is one thing I've, I've focused a lot on when I've talked with a lot of people. We're, we've changed society to a way where you have no choice but to impact how somebody develops. And so when you think back to prehistoric caveman times, what'd you do? You probably built a fire, you stayed in a cave. The biggest threat you had was animals and other people, but you didn't have a lot of noises. Um, You didn't have as many things to really worry about. You didn't have as many things impacting you. It was pretty much like other animals. You find food, find water, stay safe, work together. And then you die. That was right. pretty much it. Now we have the stress of bills and families and the economy and work and school and pff, yeah. you Can't even go to a movie theater at school now without worrying about having. Am I going to get shot today?
0: Exactly. There's so you many know. contributing factors to keep everybody on edge constantly.
1: So I mean, you, I think we tend to be more worried about things than we even real. It becomes the norm to be worried. But then, how does that worry impact you? You got high stress, you got high anxiety, you're constantly on the lookout. These things are pumping drugs are pumping chemicals to your body that are normally supposed to be decreased. Yeah. They're increasing all the time. You got kids you're worried about if they go to school they're going to get hit by a car, <clears throat> they're going to get shot at, or they're going to have a fire drill or a bomb drill. Yeah. Um, or even with the economy, am I going to lose my job tomorrow? If I do lose it, how am I going to survive?
0: exactly so you so so you're living in a constant a constant space of having these chemical reactions spiking and dropping spiking and dropping and it's it's contributing to the way people interact with one another for sure how mm -hmm. how did um did did you notice anything in your in your studies with covid and the way mainstream media covered it and stuff like that and the way people reacted to it it's still
1: a little too early to kind of kind of see patterns um, and I'm, I think even that within itself has been traumatic because you have, you pretty much have two sides story. Either people believe it and are kind of, in a sense, overreacting to it, or they just don't care. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of numbers we still have to collect. I think it's still too soon. And to because what I looked at when, when we were looking at kind of what contributing factors are. Was the death toll high when it when it came out? Yeah. But were majority of those deaths due to underlying causes? Yeah. So it was like this 88-year-old patient died from COVID, but they also had cancer and they had several other diseases, heart had- disease.
0: Eighty-eight died, years right. under their belt.
1: Yeah, and then it. But it was also like, well, this person died in a car crash and their head got cut off, but they died from COVID. Right, so it's right. Like, what am I supposed to believe? Is COVID really killing this many people, or is it just? But then you're hyped about it. am, am, am I going to get it? Did I already get it? Do I right. take the shot? Do I let my kids take the shot? Yeah. It's kind of freaking everybody out, and a lot of people. I told everybody this, this really caused everybody to wake up. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it has the potential to push us forward and make a lot of progress. But again, you have people that are literally getting into fistfights and debates over (laughs) how to deal with this because it's stressing everybody out. Yeah. and But the toll it took on everybody having to stay home too, that was a huge contributing factor.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you know, People, like you said, people getting in fist fights debating whether or not COVID is a legitimate um, health risk and stuff like that. But people were also fighting right before that about the Popeye's chicken sandwich. You know, yes. it's <laughs> like you guys had the same reaction about COVID as you did a chicken sandwich. I don't know if your views on on life is really that relevant. But I think this is probably not the first time, but definitely the first time in recent history where you had a a culture shock where you had a very serious health risk mixed with politics and that made for a very weird and polarizing experience because now you kind of had to pick a side of what you were doing you know what i mean and a lot of it had to go with are you taking trump's side or you know whatever the case is and you just kind of found out about friends and family the hard way unfortunately
1: Well, and I I think a big part of the problem is, too, we've I feel like we've completely removed critical thinking from everything at this point. I mean, yeah, 90s, early 2000s, you were given some information and given the option to think about it. Yeah, I think now the media spins everything to where you have to be on one side or the other. Are you Republican? Are you Democrat? Are you pro mask or are you anti mask? Are you pro vaccine? Are you anti vaccine? There's no way to be able to about it in the middle and i think we're so bombarded and so focused on it people don't take time to really critically think about what's going on and the actual facts behind it and where they're getting the information from
0: yeah yeah and you know one of the one of the very serious um downfalls that that i saw from covid was when covid was at its height when we all thought we were going to die you know when it was in the very early stages You know, my kids at school called and said, well, do you want your kids to continue to go to school or do you want them to stay home if they have the option? I was like, I I want them to stay home because we see my grandparents every weekend and I don't want to be the reason why my grandparents get killed. You know, so I said, "Well, well, we'll just bring the kids home and they'll just homeschool. And then little did I know that that was going to be what it was for the next year and a half and the toll that it took on the kids because you know playgrounds were shut down there was caution tape wrapped around playgrounds there was very limited things that we could do to help keep their sanity and so you know they would go in the room and they would play fortnite for a couple hours or something and they would come out and they looked like zombies they they had no outlet whereas before you know playing video games or getting on the computer was an outlet now that's your everyday life and now you come out of the room and you look at the real world and you're just frazzled you just look like the undead you know <laughs> And I, I'm just curious what that's going to do to kids in the future, not not only having this experience of being cooped up in a house for a year and a half, but also not being able to read people's facial expressions, given like social cues, everybody wearing a mask and, and gloves and everybody acting weird about toilet paper at the beginning of all this. Like, how do you <laughs> trust somebody after that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a valid point. And that's, that's one thing. I think we need to start studying now, but we're not really going to know the impact for the next few years. Yeah. Um, I think it has the potential to go okay. And I think a lot of that's due to technology. Um, that's the hard part too, is, is not being, i am am a, I'm a face-to-face interactive in-person kind of the guy. Yeah. And um, that's how I do my best learning. Um, not only can I read your facial expressions, but I can read your body language. I can read the environment it just overall does better for being able to focus and being able to understand other people. Yeah. With kids, that's the hard part too, is, is especially those first few years. And so when you're not able to see somebody's face, when you're not able to read lips or all you have is eye movement, but you can't really see all of the facial expressions, it's going to be take away that ability to be able to learn and grow the way we're accustomed to. Yeah. Um, and, but even still like being on the computer, like I, I found the same issues with adults that I did with the kids. Mm-hmm. You get distracted, and that's why I didn't want to work from home. Like we had the option, you can either take the chance, work in the office, or you can stay home. I can't work from home because I will get distracted and I yeah. get bored easily, and <laughs> I know I'm be just as guilty of it as my patients are. Yeah, so, and not those only those demons
0: that, come out to play when you get bored. Uh,
1: <laughs> but it also takes a takes a toll on you. Um, when I have patients coming in and sitting across from me, or where in a room doing a group session, there's that connectedness. When I see 20 different faces on a computer screen, especially the amount of time you're in front of a computer, it, it takes a major toll on your, on your mental health. And then yeah. if you're in a closed off small office where you don't have anybody coming in to see you, it's like you're connected, but you're still alone.
0: Yeah, you, you're essentially like socially isolated you know you you can be social if you want but as soon as you jump into a a group meeting with 20 different people you're going to get sensory overload there's so many people and colors and like there's so much going on all at once but none of it's real none of it seems real you know you're just a you're just a weird box on my computer screen at this point you know
1: exactly yeah and i think it takes a toll on everyone but then you also have the issues with, with the connection with the internet and then like when we got started so when this whole thing first hit, I was actually doing my clinical practicum on Fort Riley, working with soldiers. Oh, wow. And so when it first hit, they were like, well, things are looking a little rough. We may have to let you guys out a few weeks early. So this was probably January, February time. We started talking about it. OK, we're prepared. We start taking precautions. Come early March, they were like it's still looking a little rough we're going to do a little more social distancing yeah you're going to do a little more work online and then we'll kind of bring people in if we need to yeah and then by mid mark mid to late march they were like y'all are probably going to be out here in the next two weeks and then that next week that first i think it was that first week in april they were like pack your stuff get out <laughs> yeah <laughs> Take your computers like they didn't even get there wasn't even like a hey, heads up. They were just like, you literally just see everybody flooding out the hospital. Yeah. Get your computer, get all your books, take all your notes. Y'all not coming back. We'll let you we'll give you instructions when we get them ourselves. But right now, y'all are not returning to the building. Go home. Be prepared yeah, to you're online tomorrow.
0: People were seen as like a weaponized threat. Uh you know and it's like no i'm just a human i'm just an individual and it's like no you're trying to kill me no i'm not
1: (laughs) just just trying to do do my job you couldn't even sneeze without people freaking out. Like, I'm trying to hold oh, in yeah. a sneeze or a cough for my dear life. Eyes bulging out. Exactly.
0: Yeah. You <laughs> cough like in Walmart.
1: Die, but <laughs> I yeah, don't you... want
0: nobody to think I got the wrong look. <laughs> exactly. You cough in Walmart. It's like you just pulled out an AK-47. It's like, what?
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. <And> people <laughs> so, freak out. And it's, I just got out. And then that's the other thing, too. You had all the stress of wondering, do I got allergies? Is this COVID?
0: Right, right. Like, yeah.
1: That, that first spring, even I went through it, and I was just like... I don't know if I need to get tested. I sneezed twice instead of once. Oh, um, no. <laughs> and then you had to worry about, because a lot of places, too, either you lost your job or they didn't have any COVID relief. If you if you, you get COVID and you're off for two weeks. And I had to tell the same thing with my employees when I was a director. I flat out told them, if you decide to go see family, if you take vacation, just understand you will be quarantined for the next two weeks.
0: Right, right, yeah.
1: So, and I had people whose family died. I understand it. I got sympathy for you, but understand that once you leave you're after two weeks after you get back, you will be quarantined.
0: Yeah. Cause you're not killing you're me and my family. Wait. So
1: <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing. Like you and a lot of people had to decide, do I feed my family that I have now? Or do I go see the loved one that passed away?
0: Right. Cause exactly. I don't have
1: time to take off. And yeah, if I, if I'm out, I'm, I'm just out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a weird time. For that, even now, even with this new variant coming back in, it's starting to get weird again. People are looking Mm -hmm. at you a little weird if you walk out in public without a mask. It's like, ah, fuck, are we doing this again? Like, can we (laughs) can we not do this again? (laughs) (laughs) So, you study with um, kids that um, suffered abuse with drugs and alcohol, also. Yeah, like with the with parents or with the kids that dealt with it,
1: both. And so, um, I started off just kind of a little bit of background. Started off just doing mental health with kids. That was kind of how I first got introduced to everything. Most of them were just, just had mental health diagnosis or they may have came with some trauma, some family abuse, stuff like that. Right. Um, just kind of your typical ADHD, bipolar, um, depression, anxiety, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, kind of got my feet wet with that one. Then I started working in the schools, doing behavioral stuff with them, um, and it's kind of helping them focus a little bit better in the classroom, and that was elementary school. Then uh actually ended up becoming a middle school teacher Okay. for a while. and So I taught eighth grade um, classes at both of the middle schools, and then when, it really, when I really started getting heavy into it was when I started working for the state. So I worked with the state for a while doing their investigations. Oh, wow. And so I was in charge of... I had an entire county I was over. Most of my cases were physical and emotional abuse and neglect. And then I also had some where I would go and do some of the uh, sexual abuse cases as well.
0: Oh, no. Which those
1: ones, was typically we got law enforcement involved, too. Yeah. Um, and with those, you, there's a couple of things you realize. One, people are evil and crazy. There's a <laughs> lot of them out there. Um, yeah. And two, it does not discriminate. I went to just as many multi-million dollar houses as I did project houses. And you find drugs, you find abuse, you find assault. Um, And then even got the chance to work on some uh, sex trafficking cases as well. Mm -hmm. And so you see a wide variety of people and things. And then not only that, but the impact it has on them. So I'm from start to finish in the sense that from the time we get the case open to the time they're in court and getting placement, I'm with them through the entire process and through the interviews and hearing about how mom did this or stepdad did that, or this kid got shot or you got a kid with shaking baby syndrome or has been extremely abused or neglected. Right. There's no shortage of crazy in the world.
0: That's so interesting. I I think this is, this is a question that, um, that, that I've wondered, I think you're in a unique space to maybe touch base on it, but I always wondered, do, do you think that, that people are inherently good or evil, or do you think that it's something that they experience in their life that kind of created their path for them?
1: I think both. And there's, there's a big, there's always been a debate on nature versus nurture and, you know, is it, is it biological factor? Is it environment? I think it's both. And the reason I say both is when I look at, when I look at alcoholics, for example, I can have two kids come from an alcoholic dad. One becomes an alcoholic. One doesn't. Both grow up in the same environment. One hates it. Doesn't want anything to do with it. The other one can't get enough of it. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: Same environment, same families, same issues. What's causing it?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I know with some things there are studies and research that shows depending on how the brain develops, um that can have an impact on it but I think environment plays a lot uh, a lot to it as well um obviously if you grow up seeing and hearing more violent things you're probably going to be more prone but then when you look at addiction when you have family members and that's one one of the first questions I ask when I do treatment with anybody I always get medical and mental health history on the patient and the family you have a family history of suicide family history of alcoholism family history of drug usage because even if you don't yourself you may have it in your family which is typically going to make you more prone yeah and it may not even be drugs and alcohol it could be addicted to sex it could be addiction to um just risky behaviors skydiving cliff jumping oh wow yeah things like that can it can just be an addictive thing where you have to have it to have that rush right right so I don't know. I don't think there's any one factor that just says this is it. They've tried to say parts of the frontal lobe of the brain and this part of the brain will determine, but I don't think that's quite true. I think there's several factors that come into it. Um, but typically I think environment and your, what you go through typically play a bigger role than anything. Right. Cause even if you take the most aggressive people, if you can put them in a more calm environment, less stress, less trauma. They're more, even if they have those tendencies or those behaviors or those urges, they're probably more equipped to be able to suppress them.
0: Right, right, definitely. So do you see in your experience, are you seeing anything that is on the rise as far as like traumatic abuse goes that's previously kind of been rather um, minuscule that's just kind of going up in in causation?
1: I think... Three areas I see the most would probably be drug use, violence, and hypersexual behaviors.
0: Okay. Um,
1: and I honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with the media. Yeah. And I don't like to blame TV, but I think it is a big part. And I, the reason I say that, I mean, we grew up with real star hip hop. And yeah. I know I can't, <laughs> I don't know anybody that didn't jump on. Hey, did you see that fight? Yeah, ooh, ooh, <laughs> Jumping on and checking. First thing you got to do, check it out. Yeah. Uh, so. But even on TV, it's getting more and more graphic. It's right. getting more and more violent. Um, the sexual scenes, whether they're consensual or even rape, are getting more detailed, and yeah. we're getting more exposed to it. Um, and I don't know if it's that the world's getting more violent. I don't know if it's that the world's getting more violent, or if we're just exposed to it more. Um, I yeah, I think our, our
0: access to it is is amplified so much, like. If you want to look up you know any sort of sexy no matter like how crazy you want to get you're seriously three clicks away from it Easy, you know it, if yeah and you it, and you have the device in your pocket to do so at all times you know the yeah. times have changed from when we were in elementary school and the and the teacher was telling us like you're not always going to have a computer like or a calculator <laughs> rather how wrong were they like not only do we have that but we have the akashic record of all of mankind's in our pocket yeah. at all times and we can look up anything we want. If, it want. if we want to watch combat footage from overseas, if we want to watch a certain sex scene, it's, it's a couple of clicks away. And it's very easy to get desensitized to these things that are just kind of accessible, but not only accessible, but punched down our throat with media or, you know, video games, movies, um, whatever's on the news. It's, it's just constantly rammed into our face.
1: Well, and I think some people don't even really think about too much. Like even even with autoplay now, like you you can't even get on Facebook. I used to have the option to click on a video to watch it or not, Right, right. you know, in like early 2000s. I could click on it. I could open up Facebook and it would say, you know, the videos of people getting beheaded over and. Overseas, yeah. I could choose whether to watch that or not, but now it's at the point where I can scroll through my my Facebook feed or whatever else kind of social media I got, and it automatically starts playing. Right. I can choose whether to watch it or not, but the odds of me moving away because it happens that fast, yeah, pretty low. And so now I just got that image stuck in my head. I'm more and more desensitized by it.
0: Yeah, I think Dave Chappelle had a really good bit about it where he was talking about the beheading video. And he, he was watching it on YouTube, and he was like, "Don't like." <laughs> and he, he just chose to downvote the YouTube video rather than not watching it or anything like that. He just downvoted it. <laughs> but these things are more accessible, and there's no way that that's going to have a positive effect on our on our youth. No,
1: um, I wish we could change it into something good, but I don't think so. And I think part of the problem is one. I think we learned we learn too much too quick and kids have way too much access to too many things. Uh, I mean, I got three or four year olds that can work a cell phone better than most adults. Right. Yeah. Um, and they know how to get on YouTube and then, but they don't know what they're looking for and they're clicking on stuff. They got no idea. And now they're getting exposed to a whole lot of things. Yeah. Um, but the amount of them, you don't have time to process it. It's like by the time I get done reading a news article about somebody getting shot, three more pop up about three more of people getting shot. Exactly. And so I don't even have time to process the thing I just read. I got to process the four, four, five, six of the things that just popped up. Yeah. Um, And there's just no time to really be able to process and function. Um, And so we're just, we're, I think we're just getting more and more designed to just try to cram information in to the point where our brains are on overload.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we essentially just have an overpacked filing cabinet. You can't possibly fit anything in there, especially the self-help and stuff like that. Yeah. You constantly have all these bells and whistles of like, life is like a slot machine. There's constantly something going on, you know what I mean? And you can't, you can't keep up with it. Um, so as far as like drug use and stuff like that in households and how it's affecting kids and stuff like that, um, do you think it's more drug use now than in the past? Or do you think it drug use is more accessible? What's that looking like?
1: I think both. And so I think part of the problem is, I mean, you only had so many drugs you could take when our parents and our grandparents were growing up. Yeah. Um, I mean, they used to make medicine with cocaine in it and they used to make heroin into cocaine or into medication. Yeah. You had little issues like that, but it wasn't as accessible. So were there drugs back then? Yeah. But now they turn everything into a drug. So stuff that's just prescribed for ADHD or depression or pain, they go from being something that should only be given out every once in a while and is on a very needed basis to now we got a whole opioid crisis and kids yeah. are they have access to it, but also um, I think we're over medicated because again, we don't want to talk about things. We, we, if I'm depressed, take a pill. If I'm too happy, I take a pill. If I'm too sad, I take a pill. Uh, if yeah. my leg hurts, take a pill. You got a pill for everything. And yeah. so, and a lot of folks know when we get pain pills, we don't take them when we need it. We take them when we want it. Exactly. So yeah. it, it ain't when my leg hurts when, when I need to get my mood a little a little different. That's when I'm going to pull them bad boys out or I got some extra. I'm going to either take them or I'm going to go sell them because somebody else will want them too.
0: Right. Exactly. So,
1: but not only that, but you see it on TV and you hear about it in the music. And, you, and again, I, I think people are responsible for their own actions, but I think as a culture and society, we need to take responsibility for what we feed our kids and what we put in front of them and expose them to. Um, and even the kids I worked with, when I was doing, uh, when I was working with kids in state custody, that's all they want to talk about popping this, doing that. My Zannies, my perks. Why do we even know about that? Like you shouldn't know about that at 10 or 11, Yeah, but they do, because they heard it in music or they saw it on TV and, oh, I just want to get faded, but you have no idea of what kind of impact this is doing to your brain and how little you can develop because of what you're doing to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely glamorized in our entertainment. You know, a lot of most music has some sort of um, thing that they're consuming, whether it's some sort of medication or alcohol or something like that. It's it's kind of mm-hmm. the the baseline for any song nowadays. But um but I, I heard somewhere and I I don't remember where it was, but they were talking about how America is one of two countries that advertise our drugs. It goes straight from it goes straight from the drug manufacturer to the consumer through TV commercials and radio ads and stuff like that. And it was America and I believe New Zealand. Everywhere else in the world, it's banned. hmm. Uh-huh. And that was very interesting to me because why are these drug manufacturers manufacturers rather? Yeah, it's money. Yeah,
1: that's all it comes down to. Yeah. And like I tell people, like so when I when I do my therapy, I, I I like the psychiatrist to work with now, and I've I've worked with some really great ones. Um, but that's what we talk about and we focus on. Well, it's if you're going through some mental health issues, it should be a combination of medication and therapy if needed. I think therapy needs to come first because there's a lot of things that, realistically, if you just talk about it, you'll be fine. Yeah. Um. There's some things where you got chemical imbalances where, yeah, you need to take a medication to balance out, and that's okay too. Right. But it's not something where we should be telling kids if you want to feel high and feel great, take this pill. Um. But also, it's a. I think we put too much emphasis on feelings in a sense of if you feel sad, you're, you're broken. No, you're not. You might've just had a bad day. Yeah. And exactly. that's okay. Yeah. I think we make it un-okay to not like we, we try to put such a stigma and make it such a bad thing to have a bad day or be in a rough period of time. Yeah. And so it's like, well, you don't want to feel that way. You shouldn't feel sad. So go take a pill. Oh, yeah, sometimes you need to feel a little sad.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a very okay. human emotion. Like Sometimes you got to sit in that because some something's happening in your life. If, if something's making you sad, say you had a bad day at work, explore that. I, I think that's kind of been my, the, the word explore has kind of been on my mind for the past two or three years, because anytime I feel a certain um, emotion towards something, I just want to explore it because what I have found out over the past few year, few years is that, if I feel a negative feeling, whether it's anger or, you know, sad, or just generally being upset about something, once I explore it, I can typically get to the root of it, especially, you know, talking with my wife and stuff like that about things. And there was a very um, unique experience that I had last year. I was um, remodeling a a daycare facility for uh, Wichita State University. And every day that I went in there, I felt sad. I felt sad every single day. I'm like, why the fuck do I feel so sad in a daycare? And it just brought me back to a time when I was younger going to, and this name will probably sound familiar to you, Kansas kids Mm -hmm. in, in junk city. And every day I got dropped off at Kansas kids while, you know, my mom went to work and stuff like that. And just feeling um, through no fault of my mother's, but I felt like abandoned. And I yeah. felt out of place. I felt like I was just kind of thrown to the wolves, and was like, "Here, fucking survive," you know. Just and so,
1: <laughs> yeah. So
0: every day, like working in this daycare facility, I f- I felt that sadness again. And after a week of working there, I came home. I told my wife, I was like, "I've been sad all week because of this place. I think I just need to kind of dwell on like why I'm feeling sad." And once I once I explored that emotion, it made sense to me. And then I was able to kind yeah. of work through that, but. Also, ever since we've had kids, we've never put our kids in in daycare. And we've always been fortunate enough to where, you know, I've made enough money to where my wife could be a stay at home mom, which is amazing on so many different levels. But it all stemmed from me working so hard so I could not put my kids in daycare because I felt a certain trauma about it that I didn't even know existed. So as far as like neglect goes and stuff like that with kids, is, is neglect on the rise?
1: I don't know if it's on the rise. I think we're getting more accustomed to it. Well, not accustomed to it, but I think we're becoming more aware of it. Yeah. I mean, I think we're starting to understand the impact of it. Um, I think part of the problem is, too, though, we're starting to have kid, more kids that are having kids. And I think that's where yeah. a big part of the issue is, too. Um, I mean, neglect has always been there. We just kind of labeled it differently. It was usually labeled as poor. Um, and you just didn't have the resources that you need. Yeah. Uh, and so, what we look at as neglect today, you know, back in the 1920s, 1930s, it's a whole different story. I mean, nobody had that much food. You didn't have lockers, lockers, or freezers or refrigerators full of food, and yeah, the stores where you could just literally go and pick out anything you want and you're fine. Um, and right. then we also didn't have the welfare system like we do now too. Um, But I think a big part of the problem is um, I don't know if it's becoming more common. I think we're just becoming more aware of it because we're seeing those things and those things are starting to come out. Um, And that's what like, and it's been really enlightening, even working with in geriatrics, working with elderly patients, Um, what they define as abuse is a lot different than what we define as abuse now right because um, that's, that's one of the questions i ask when i look through their family history have you ever been physically abused or emotionally abused uh, no what did you ever get beat with stuff yeah horse whips and belts and <laughs> oh right them.
0: but that was just commonplace for me that, it, for that was time.
1: that was the norm for them so to them they weren't abused right but they don't even understand the impact that it had and then i mean you pass those things down i mean like i said i i'm I got whoopings as a kid. I know my parents got whoopings as a kid, and I know my grandparents did. Am yeah. I opposed to it now? No, but do I think it needs to be done in a better way? Absolutely. Yeah. And do I think there's a definitely a line between discipline and abuse? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but again, that's up to interpretation as well. There's some things that are clear cut and dry.
0: Uh, yeah, for sure. You, you
1: can't take a whole board and beat a kid with it. That's right. abuse. Yeah. But a swat on the behind because you acted up? Hey, sometimes you need it, right? Yeah. So I think that's the hard part is finding those definitions. And I think that's a big part of what we're, we're going through to now is we, we don't really have clear cut definitions on a lot of things now, which I think can be good, but it's also very bad. Um, Yeah. With abuse. What is abuse? With neglect. What is neglect? Because I didn't give you three snacks today. Is that neglect? <laughs> yeah. And some kids will tell you, yeah.
0: <laughs> if you ask my kids right now, I'm the devil. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you didn't bring no cookies home? I'm calling child protective. <laughs> I,
0: I, I was I was just joking with I was just joking with my middle son earlier today because he it was five thirty, and he was wanting dinner. I said, "It's not time to eat yet, man. I'll let you know when it's time to eat." I said, "Never mm-hmm. in your life have you ever missed a meal." He said, "Yes, I have." I said, "When?" He goes, "I asked for a snack earlier, and you didn't give me one." I said, "That's mm-hmm. not a meal, man."
1: <laughs> and you to weren't him even that's trauma.
0: Yeah, I said, "I said you weren't even hungry for a snack. You were bored. You were in between Fortnite games. You were bored. Mm-hmm. You were looking for something to do because, and I know that because I do the same thing." if i'm watching forensic files and i get bored in between episodes i'm gonna find myself in front of the refrigerator (laughs) Uh that's just my experience but it it becomes um just to bring it back to you know neglect and stuff like that i I think it's going to be an interesting thing here in you know 10-15 years because right now it's so it's so easy to push a screen in front of a kid's face whether it's through an xbox or a nintendo switch or a tablet of some sort and i I think i think that line is going to be drawn here in the next decade or so where they they may feel like they were neglected because anytime they got irritated or or not not irritated but like antsy or something like that sitting in the doctor's office we you know we might push a you know cell phone in front of them here watch youtube while we wait for the doctor or something Whereas when I was a kid, we had some elaborate abacus that we could play with or those those highlighter magazines or whatever they were, called, you know, and we could read something or, you know, play games in the in the magazine. But now we just kind of push screens in front of the kid's face. But that's that's where the entertainment is now.
1: Well, and I, I think one of my big things is is it's fine to have it as long as you use it right. Yeah. Um, a big part of the problem is like even with my nieces and nephews, I've had some of them where. Or even just kids in general, um, they want to play these adult games. That's one of the first questions they want to download Modern Warfare and this shooting game and this zombie game. Dude, you five, Dude,
0: right? Play with blocks. <laughs> yeah, relax <laughs> for a oh, little bit. Build with
1: Legos. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: but they want to get these intense games that are difficult to play, and so it's overstimul. It's overstimulating for adults. So imagine being five, not having any idea about the world, and you're taking in all this adult information and material and trying to pack it into a brain that is barely beginning to become developed right it's problematic um but i think if you use it right it, and there's a lot of good apps too it really just comes down to honestly parents knowing and parents learning um, and that's one thing i try to teach parents is you. Know, there's a lot of good stuff there's lego apps that you can use there's counting there's um, math and their science apps that you can get for kids that are age appropriate but right. the problem is by the time they're four they want to go they want to travel overseas and <laughs> go to war too Right, that's exactly. all they know that's what yeah. they've been watching daddy play and uncle play and that's all they see on TV and so it's like well I want to do that and yeah. so that's what they want to play too
0: right are you, are you seeing kids using drugs and alcohol at a younger age now
1: <sighs> yeah I think just different types of drugs. I mean, I think kids have always used drugs at a younger age because especially like even when I, when I when I first got into drug and alcohol therapy, I had a lot of people in their 50s or 60s. They've been drinking since they was 8, 9, 10. Right. And so it's been there. Um, I think it's more advertised now, especially through social media, movies. But I think it's always been there. Even kids smoking in the bathroom, middle school, high school, that's been going on. 60s 70s easily if not before then too yeah Um, yeah. but i think it's just the different types of drugs now you know back in the 1960s 1970s you didn't have a lot of pain pills and anxiety pills and a pill for this and a pill for that you just kind of had your regular drugs and so you had the rebels that would do it and people were doing it but it wasn't as known now a uh, big part of the problem is cell phones. You, you can record everything. Fights, drugs. You got kid. Heck, I had a kid that I busted for smoking weed because he had video of himself doing it and trying to say I <laughs> didn't do it. And then I literally watched him. We had him on camera watching his phone with him on his phone <laughs> doing what he said he didn't do.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you beat yeah. yourself. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think as the... I think is the accessibility to media encouraging drug and alcohol use at a younger age also comes with the ability to tell on yourself much easier
1: and they uh-huh. take
0: every opportunity to do so all the time. Yeah.
1: Um, but I see it with adults too. Um, yeah. I know that like a few years back, they had a big scandal where all these uh, college athletes lost their scholarships because they're young and dumb. They were right. um, recording themselves talking bad about the college, talking about how they need this, how they would rather be here. And coaches saw it on t- so Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and they were just like, okay, you putting a bad light on the school? We don't need you. And they cut all – there was, like, probably good 20 or 30 students that got busted on social media. Yeah. Or even doing using weed and other drugs. They posted all these videos on, on social media, and they're like, it's a violation.
0: Right, exactly. Let you go. So, do you think that do you think that drug use specifically is is as rampant as it is now because of how um, our entertainment is glamorizing it, or sorry, um, do you think that it's trying to escape r- what reality is today?
1: I, th- I think both of those probably hit the nail on the head. And so I think a big part of it is we see it so much. You're, it's almost like you're encouraged if you're if you're sad, depressed, you got this problem, go take this pill, go take this drug, and you'll be fine. Right. Um. But also we have we don't know how to cope. Yeah. Um. I think part of it is our generation and the generations before where it was like you don't talk about it, you're not going to cry about it, you don't have a problem, get over it yeah um and i think part of that too was just our parents are raising us the way that they were raised but also we didn't have a lot of names and understanding about what's going on with development in the brain like we do now Yeah, you know i can guarantee you i had a whole lot of issues growing up but i just didn't know what they were uh, usually yeah. it was labeled as you a heathen or you just undisciplined right and so that's what they told you just a bad kid yeah and so one of the practices that i start doing when i start working with kids is like as soon as they come in to my office whether i was teaching whether i was a therapist it wasn't why did you do what you do it's just what's going on yeah yeah talk to me and tell me in your words or explain to me and that usually gave them a chance and a lot of times when you see kids acting out sometimes it's just because they hungry. you know i have yeah. a lot of kids that would run away from school or they would be yelling at the teachers or just acting a fool you give him a sandwich, whole different kid. <laughs> yeah. Or like I had one, I learned, I learned he. I tried the discipline thing of, you're going to lose this, you're going to do that. I'm going to have this problem. You're going to stay for detention. But he was always getting up. Like there was a certain parts of the day where he just couldn't sit still. So he climbed on our desk and he's locking himself in the bathroom and he's on top of the cabinets. Yeah. I set my timer. As soon as I get that call, take him outside. I time him because he was a little kid, probably first, second grade. Right. We're gonna see how fast you can go. See if you can beat your time. Let him run two or three laps. He get it out of the system. We come back, no problems. The rest of the day,
0: right? Didn't yeah. have
1: to beat him. Didn't have to give him a pill. He just needed to get some energy out.
0: Yeah, let let him let him run his gas tank out for a little mm-hmm. bit, and and he
1: needs to be a kid. Yeah, um, it, but I do think. Sorry. But, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say I think part of the problem is too. I think we're we're putting more adult responsibility on kids too, and I think that's playing a big factor. Yeah. Um. I mean, back back in the day, we didn't know if our parents were broke. We didn't know if our parents were having relationship issues. Yeah. Now parents want to sit down with their kids like they're the therapists.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Or or brag about your PPP loan or something.
1: Uh <laughs> like, Why does your kid need to know this? Your kid your kid has enough to worry about being a kid, and then yeah. we're putting adult responsibilities on them. Right. And it, it's having a negative impact for sure.
0: Yeah, they're they're watching you make the TikTok videos where you're holding your PPP loan up to your ear, acting like you're talking to your money. You know, they're they're, they're watching these things. Um, do you, do you see? Um, one thing that I've noticed is when live, you know, visiting my grandparents when I was younger was very routine. Um, when I was younger, things were very routine. Now. Nowadays, it doesn't seem like things are very routine in a lot of households. I see like my kids as friends and stuff like that. There's not a whole lot of routine involved in getting up at a certain time, going to bed at a certain time, eating meals at a roundabout certain time. And I, I feel like that plays a certain part in a kid's um, sanity and knowing when things are coming. You know, that bedtime is a certain time. You know, that chores need to be done by a certain time. Um, Meals are around a certain time. Um, One thing that I I try to do with, with my boys, I have all, all three of my kids are boys. One thing I try to do with my boys is I tell them, you know, the kitchen needs to be clean. I don't say, Hey, go clean the kitchen. I say, Hey, before six o'clock tonight, the kitchen needs to be clean. I try to give them the opportunity to make their own agenda. Right. It, you create your own routine. Do you want to do it now? Do you want to do it later? You know what your deadline is. Can you do it before then? Right. Do you see anything with kids coming up now that routine or lack of routine is playing a part in just kind of uncertainty in their lifestyles?
1: Um, I would say absolutely. I think one of the big problems and like even when I was running, running the boys homes for a while, um, cause I did that for a couple of years. And that's one thing we focus on. You need to have a structure. You need to have a routine. Um, I think I agree with you. Once they start getting a little older, it's okay to be a little flexible with it Yeah. That when they're kids. Um, I think it needs to pretty much be mapped out. There's certain yeah. things, what time you're getting up, what time lunch is needs to be routine. Of course, things vary. Doctors appointments come up, this come up, that come up, but you should have a pretty routine. Um, and so like with us growing up, like weekends, Weekend mornings, you get you can't get out your bed before seven o'clock. So I'd be laying there from six to seven sometimes. <laughs> right. I know yeah. my behind better not get out of that bed. Yeah. Um, or there's gonna be consequences. Right. Seven o'clock till about eight: thirty, nine o'clock, you got breakfast and you got cartoons. You can yeah. hang out, wake up, relax, chill. After that, chores need to be done. You're not doing anything until those chores are done. So if it takes you three hours, then hey, that's on you. You right. can get it done in 30 minutes and get it done correctly. Cool. You got the rest of the day to play. lunch was always about 11 30 12 o'clock depending on what was getting cooked and it was just that strict routine um i think now one thing we were dealing with especially with teenagers they want to be up on their phones all night and that throws your whole routine off yeah so instead of getting the eight hours you really need for your brain to develop they get two or three and then they're wondering why they're cranky why they're tired why they got this problem why i got that problem i'm just i'm falling asleep in school well where your phone at
0: right
1: (laughs) my phone on Doing what? Why do you need to be up at 2 o'clock in the morning on your phone when you 10, 11, 12, 13 years old? You don't. We used exactly. to go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> through the night. Yeah. Now they want to get up and check text messages and Twitters and Facebook and Snapchats. And, oh, I'm about to lose my streak. No, you about to lose your mind and your behind if you do to take you behind
0: the bed. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, because what a lot of kids don't realize, and I, I, I think they don't realize it because it's relatively new. Is the fact that even if you, even if you stop watching videos on your phone at say midnight, your your brain after consuming that amount of blue light and stuff like that, it tricks your brain to think that it's daylight. When your when your your eyeballs are ingesting that um, that much blue light, your brain thinks that it's daytime. So that when you actually turn your phone off, you put it on the charge, you set it on your nightstand or whatever, you roll over to go to sleep, your brain is still trying to wind down because it just, it, it thinks that you're trying to go to bed at one in the afternoon.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And so, so kids struggle with that. Cause even if they put their phone down at midnight, they might still be up two, three o'clock in the morning because they're watching the office still or something, you know, they, they have a hard time winding down and then morning time rolls around. They have a hard time getting going. And one of the first things that they do is check their phone you know, it's, it's lack of, it's lack of routine. It's lack of accountability and responsibility to get up and have that self care to get yourself up, get some breakfast, brush your teeth, gather yourself. And then two hours later, then check your phone, then see what's going on. This information's not going anywhere.
1: Even as adults, we do the same thing. And Ah. I'm, I'm guilty of it too. First thing I do when I get up, I wake up, roll over, check my phone, see what time it is. Yeah. If it's time to get up, I may get up, but I may also scroll Facebook for a little while. So right. I think it's, uh, I think it, that's it's definitely a, uh, a technology problem. Um, but I think it's just, it's just kind of where we're at with society. But yeah. I think it's critical for kids to understand that information. Like you said, like your brain's still so processing. But even like with notifications, that's one thing I've noticed too. Like when I was on call all the time, I slept terrible. One of the best yeah. nights sleep I got was when my phone broke and I had to leave it in my car to charge. It was the only way I could get to charge. Right, I yeah. slept like a baby. No yeah. notifications, no worries. I set my old school alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right.
1: Yep. Do 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 numbers on it. Yep. And I went to bed and I slept like a baby. There was no worries about notifications going off. But we're so trained to just be alert for everything, and like even that little that little text message whistle. I don't know if I can can replicate it, but you know the one I'm talking, to, right? Yeah. <laughs> when you hear that little 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 whistle noise come from your phone. First thing you do, eyes open, and you're, you're alert, even yeah. if you're in bed. And so your brain is trained to just be triggered by every little alerting thing going off, notifications and dings and whistles. And so when you keep your phone in your room or close to your bed, like I do. Yeah. You hear those things go off, or even the vibration. Eh, Right. Who the heck? It better be Jesus or somebody dying. Because if not, somebody's going to be.
0: Right. But But it's just somebody posted a story on Instagram.
1: Mm, Oh, oh, it drives me crazy. (laughs) 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 If I could reach to my phone, I would.
0: (laughs) Right. Exactly. One of the one of the best things I did about um I I would say probably four or five years ago was one of the best things I did was I went out and bought a watch because I'm I'm a horrible sleeper. I you know, I can get to sleep usually okay. Give me 20 30 minutes and I can fall asleep, but once I fall asleep, I wake up every 15 20 minutes or so. I don't know what it is, I don't know why. I've explored this, I I I can't figure it out. But I do. But the pr- the mistake that I made was when I would wake up, I would want to look at my phone to see what the time was. How much longer do I have to sleep before I got to get up mm-hmm. to start my day? And when I did that, I would see a notification from facebook or instagram or whatever the case was and then and then you fall down a rabbit hole like oh so-and-so posted a story let me see what they and then now you just consumed the next two hours of a time that was supposed to be allocated to sleep to looking on instagram or facebook or just social media at large now if i wake up at, or when i wake up in the middle of the night i just light my watch up see what time it is and go back to sleep you know and that's right. one of the best things that i could do you know but now like you said People keep their phones within arm's reach of them when they're sleeping.
1: Well, and I, it's such an addictive thing, and I, and like I said, I'm guilty of it too, because I had somebody ask that question the other week. You know, if you, if you could get rid of social media or choose not to use it, like would you or would you not? And my thing was, if if I don't have access to it, I'm good. Mm-hmm. But it's when it's in front of my face and i'm i guess i'm I'm, i check it i check it when i'm walking down the hall i check it when i'm in the elevator right i check it while i'm at lunch yeah Uh, heck i've been guilty of checking in the middle of conversations right (laughs) so (laughs) it's just so i don't know if it's uh sometimes i find myself like like, i just checked this and, and it's the same thing five minutes ago why am i looking at it again now and it's almost like same thing when you look in the fridge to see what to see You just checked it five minutes ago. I promised nobody was (laughs) shopping.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's,
1: just that habit. And so I even, I even call myself doing the dumbest thing some years back. I felt so stupid when I had to post about it. Um, I ended up picking one of the old school CD cases and I'm looking at it, reading the songs, and I start trying to scroll. (laughs) 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 Really? (laughs) And it's just that brief moment where you're like, Jesus, yo, that's as smart as you are that was dope.
0: <laughs> yeah that's hilarious. but it's such a
1: habit everything's touchscreen and yeah. so you're just so used to flip it this way or scroll that way and then it's like you get back to reality and it's like not everything works that way
0: right exactly it's
1: habit and so i think it's it's just one of those things where we start so young it just becomes a part of life kids mm-hmm. are not going to know what it's like to push buttons because everything's touchscreen right even hey, mcdonald's we used to have to go and talk to the cashier yeah now i can order from my phone and walk in i don't have to talk to nobody except for the person that hands me my bag yeah or yeah. has me in my box or you can um, have them drop it offer. off at your door that too and it's just <laughs> getting more and more crazy to the point where we're having a lot less contact. I mean, it used to be we had block parties with our friends and families, and everybody in the neighborhood knew everybody.
0: Right, right.
1: Now, the last few places I've been, I can't tell you who my neighbors are. I might see them by face, but I, most of the time, I don't know who they are.
0: Yeah, that, that, that was a, a interesting conversation. the The last episode that I had with uh, David Roger, that's what we were talking about when the pandemic hit. I, I was I was worried because I don't know a single one of my neighbors' names. I don't, I, and I I live in a duplex. I the people that I'm connected to, I don't know their name. I think there's a guy that lives across the street from me. And I, I have a, a, I built a gym in my garage. So I open up the garage door. I lift weights and stuff like that to work out. He brings his dogs outside. And if we make eye contact, we wave to one another. I wave to him probably a thousand times since I've been living here. I don't know his name. I don't know what he looks like up close. Right. There's, there's a, we are so disconnected from the people that are so close to us. And this just kind of echoes back to the conversation with David Roger is, you know, it kind of stemmed back to like MySpace and stuff like that. When you could go online and you could kind of rank who was most important in your life. You could choose your top eight people that were most important to you. And you've kind of, you, you kind of, um, you kind of build who you are as your social standing based off of how many top eights you could be on.
1: Yep. And not like that, but then people get in their feelings when they're not.
0: (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
1: And And I think that started the whole thing with the likes. I mean, people do outrageous things to be liked and it used to just be, you kind of fit in with the crowd. And even if you weren't quite like the jocks or you weren't quite like the goths or you weren't quite like the country guys, you may try to just just enough to fit in now people are lighting themselves on fire and jumping in front of cars and it's just like people go through no shortage of link to try to be liked by other people right and that probably kick-started a lot of it i wasn't in nobody's top eight,
0: right you know the funny thing is i i I don't know if you remember my wife if, if you like knew my wife in school and stuff like that but um, we, we were talking about you not too long ago, and uh, I was like, I, I always admired Christian because Christian was the one that walked through the hallway with a toothpick in his mouth in an Afro fist bumping everybody that walked by. You were the most approachable person on the planet, and you fist bumped everybody that walked by. You know, th- there was no, oh, Christian's having a bad day. Christian was just always there. You know, you were approachable. You If you needed a fist bump that day, guess what? You were going to get a fist bump that day.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's just always been that way. But it's, yeah. I think it's getting more and more difficult now. I mean, especially with social distancing. It seems like everybody's scared of everybody, but we just don't, I don't know. I think part of this personality, I think you just, some people are just people persons and some people are just kind of, unless I know you, I'm, I'm good. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with either one. But I think the problem is when we as a society isolate. Yeah. Um, ourselves you know even even people that are shy if the neighborhood is there and you can say hi to at least those people it gives you something mm-hmm. but it's the fact that we don't really have anybody to talk to anymore and yeah. so when i when i studied uh culture anthropology at k-state that was one of my favorite professors to have we had a lot of in-depth questions and the one thing i talked to about is isolation and and the impact it has and i'm like you know we grow up and we're in school, and we're told to sit down and shut up, and we sit in roll, rows, and you don't have very much contact, and the only time you do is if you go outside. And then once you get to middle school, they take recess away, so now you have lunch. Right, right. And then by the time you get to high school, you got an even shorter lunch.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and you have the ability to leave if you wanted to.
1: Mm-hmm, so I don't got to deal with nobody. But then right. as adults, I'm like, you know, we – we used to live in villages and huts, and everybody shared things. And now it's like I go get my house, and my house belongs to me. And I don't want people in my house. I don't want people around my house. And
0: yeah,
1: I put security systems up to keep people out of my house.
0: And right. <laughs>
1: I don't invite people over. And then when I go to work, I don't commute on a bus where I can talk to people. I get in my car by myself, and the only other person in there might be Jesus or the radio. Right. And so I sit in a box isolated and then we got cubicles at work. So I go sit in another box for eight hours. Yeah. And for the 30 minute break, I get to go eat lunch or grab a cup of coffee. Yeah. And then I come home in my box and I go home to my box. Yeah. <laughs> and I watch a box.
0: Right. <laughs> so- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's all, it's all just built up to socially isolate ourselves. And I'm a hundred percent guilty of it. I'm not a social person. So creating something like a podcast where I sit down with people is so far beyond anything that is relevant to my personality. But I feel like it's so important to talk about these things, these um, traumatic experiences that people are are experiencing and stuff like that. The things that are on the rise, the things that we're going to be dealing with over the course of the next decade or two that kids are dealing with now I think um, just wrapping things up here over the next few minutes is um, the stigma that we have with um, speaking about the problems that we have. Where do you think that this stigma comes from where we lack the ability to talk to one another about our feelings and emotions and the things that we're experiencing in our everyday life that upset us?
1: I think part of it is um, again, we, we're not encouraged to talk about. It, and I think that's a big portion of it. I mean, even me growing up, my parents were excellent, but even still, it was as, as a kid, it was, you, you do as you're told and that's it. You don't really, we're not, we're not gonna have a conversation about this and not to discuss. Yeah, And so you kind of take that and you build up with it. And it's like at school, you're not allowed to show emotion. If you get angry or sad, if you're anything but happy, you're in trouble. Right, And so you have to suppress that. And there's not really anybody to talk to about it. And so I think it's just a lot of generations of keeping things in and not being able to discuss things. Um, I think, but now I think we're kind of overdoing it because we want to, we, we put more into it than there needs to be. And we overcomplicate it. Um, yeah. and again, we will give you a, a label and diagnosis, or we'll tell you this or that, but we don't tell you how to fix it. Right. And usually the fix, the fix is take a pill. Right. or do drugs or go do this and you'll be fine because you're really quote broken mm-hmm. yeah and so we don't really take that time i mean we got the skills we got the technology and resources now but i think we have to get to the point where we tell people one it's okay to not be okay yeah um, but two even if you're sad or depressed that's okay too sometimes yeah. there's a time and a place for it if it's all the time that's a different story Right. Um, But again, I shouldn't need to take a pill because I'm crying because my grandma died.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: You know, or even like when like if I do bad in school or something happens to me or something happens to my family, if they're struggling, that's okay to be sad. There's nothing wrong with that. But what's next? How do we fix it? How do we solve that problem? Yeah. Um, and I think it really just comes down to we I feel like we have just about everything we need tool and, and resource wise. I think we just utilize it in a very terrible way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It. I I. I don't think that we use it in a terrible way just because we, we choose to. I think it's I think it's just the, the lack of um, acceptance and education that we have on how to use these things, because nowadays you have things like you know, better help and stuff like that, where you can, you could download an app and you can talk to somebody and it could be, uh-huh. can, it can, you know, even if you do have a habit of socially isolating yourself, you have the ability to talk to somebody, even if it's not face to face and just kind of express an emotion that you're feeling. And like you said, just because you're sad that your grandma died, sit in that for a little bit, sit in it, feel it. You have to experience that sadness and, and that, that sense of loss and then you have to figure out a game plan after that. How do you move forward after that? And I, th- there's so many options to figure out how to do so. We just don't always implement those things. And I think it's, uh, I hesitate to say lack of education on it because there's so much to, to learn about it, but it just seems so far out of reach because it's the, the information's everywhere at all times. It's not always funneled into a bite-sized thing thing that we can consume
1: well i think it's something that has to be taught um i think it starts with parents i mean grandparents i mean they've, they've done what they do and a lot of them are stuck in their ways and they <laughs> yeah. believe what they believe but it, it comes down to parents teaching their kids and then those kids becoming parents and teaching their kids um, we got to start something new because we've been doing the same thing for so long yeah and i think another part of the issue is we put so much emphasis on you have to be happy like, if you're not happy something's wrong with you Right. That's not the case. Not everything has to be happy, go feel. And I think you have like you, you learn going through all those emotions. So I learned how to deal with when I lose a loved one or something tragic happens. And when I can walk through that and process it and learn how to deal with it, it makes me better rather than just saying, take a pill and you'll be happy or um, because you're sad, something's wrong with you. No, it's, it's, it's a teachable moment. And if you use it correctly, you can grow from it
0: right exactly okay so two more questions for you say say I'm a I'm a third grader however old you're in third grade I'm a third grader I'm experiencing sadness at what seems like a, a very frequent rate what's what's the first couple steps that I could take to reach out to um, maybe get some help and and talk to somebody and kind of express my feelings and emotions
1: if I'm a kid um... I think it's critical, one, for the parents to, if it's, if you're going to deal with it at home, talk to the kids and let them know. If there's anything you need to talk about, you can we'll talk about it. I yeah. think it's important to let them know that, yeah, there's going to be times where I'm a little upset about it, but I may not necessarily be mad at you. I'm mad at the situation yeah. if you did something wrong, but I want you to be in a position where you can trust me and you can talk to me. Yeah. And I think the same thing needs to be done at the schools. Um, when I when I was a teacher and when I was just working in elementary school doing the behavioral stuff, I, I first day I let all the kids know, you, you may not want to come talk to me about everything, but you can trust me, good or bad, and you can talk to me about anything good or bad. Right. And I constantly built that relationship and rapport with them to the point where even if they messed up, they might come in with their head down, but they know they're going to get positive criticism and they're going to get whatever the consequences is going to fit. Like I told them, it's, it's not the end of the world. There's always tomorrow. It's always a new day to start over. We'll deal with what we got to do with now. But they learn to trust. And so you got to have that balance at home and at, at school. You know, talk to your kids. I think a lot of parents are just afraid to talk to their kids or they just don't want to deal with them. You know, right. by third grade, they're so tired of dealing with them. It's like either let them do whatever they want or they overcorrect and overpunish and over overdiscipline to the point where kids don't want to trust you or they can't trust you because – they fear that there's going to be retaliation or you're going to blow it out of proportion. Right. So I think that communication is just critical to all of it. whether it's your kid, whether it's your, your nieces or nephews, grandchildren, um, or even the kids up the road, they should trust you enough to where, Hey, if I'm in trouble, I mean, I want to tell them, but I'm going to go and talk to them because that's the guy that I trust and I've built a relationship with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just, just having, just being that person that a, a, a youth can just come holler at. For a second, and and sometimes if you just kind of bounce an emotion off of somebody that you look up to, you can kind of get a better sense of how you're feeling and why you're feeling it. Um, last question for you before I let you go here. Um, so my, my oldest is 12 years old, and at that age, you kind of get um, like a bank vault of a, of a kid, like emotions just kind of get kind of tucked away mm-hmm. and stuff like that. As a as a parent and i know it's easier said than done but like as a parent what do you how do you start a a conversation with a kid of that age to try to sit down and open up that line of communication is there something that you could do to kind of slide into a conversation and get them to open up
1: Hmm. um i I think realistically honesty is the best policy i think we try to sugarcoat things act like it's not there um or it's not as big of a deal as we need to um I know my parents were blunt, direct, and to the point. Mm-hmm. If we're gonna talk about sex, we're gonna talk about sex. If we're gonna talk about drugs, we're gonna talk about drugs. And we're not gonna call it bad candy. We're not gonna call it good touch bad. Like right. at, at some point we're gonna get real about this. And, and here's here's the reality of it. Here's you're gonna be exposed to stuff. Yeah. Um, and one thing I tell parents is whether you like it or not, your kids are gonna be exposed to it, whether mm-hmm. it's friends or TV or social media they're going to be exposed to it. So you've got to kind of honestly take the lead and just be open and talk with them. Right. Um, and talk to them before their friends get to them. Cause their friends are going to give them terrible advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's literally the blind lead the blind. Yes. <laughs> and it is. it's going to go down a very bad road, but if you, as a parent one, if you can establish that trust with them and that's where it starts with is again, Hey, you can trust me. We'll talk again. I may be mad, but I want you to know that you can trust me and, and come to me about anything. And that's going to open up that door to have those conversations, you know, and you know, if you have a daughter, tell her, you know, if you, if you start liking boys or you want to start trying to, trying that, come and talk to me first and same thing with your kids, with your sons, you know, if you, I mean, kids are exposed to a lot early. Um, we had, when I was at K state, we did a stud, we looked at a bunch of studies with kids There's a lot of kids that are in elementary school that are coming up with STDs, and it's not because they were born with them. It's because they're experimenting with other kids or they're experimenting with older kids, and they're they're all doing a whole lot of stuff together, and, you know, you have – like for I'll give you a personal example. Um, when I was in elementary school, first time I ever heard about a condom was a second grade. And it wasn't because we took sex It's because a girl brought it to school and was showing everybody. Right. right. I thought it was just a balloon.
0: <laughs> right. You're trying <laughs> to, to twist that you're your trying case. to twist a dog out of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, we over we trying to fill up water, throwing it against walls and stuff. We thought it was just a toy.
0: Right, exactly.
1: But somebody else chose to expose that. And my parents had no control over that. Right, right. Um, it was just kind of what happens. Um And so you've got to be open and honest. And that's one thing that frustrates me when when parents try to sugarcoat or try to mask a thing and make it not as big as it really is. No, you got to be age appropriate. Yeah. But as they get older, as they mature, you need to have those hard conversations, drugs, alcohol. Um, There's a lot of kids that experiment with this stuff and parents have no idea. I didn't know my kid. Your kid been drinking since five months old.
0: Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> I th- no
1: attention. <laughs> yeah i
0: i think it's easy as adults to um see what it, what a kid is going through and kind of minimize what their experience is because we've experienced something greater like on a grander scale whereas what they're experiencing is the height of what they've experienced thus far they're young obviously they haven't experienced what we've experienced for the most part. Obviously there are some kids that are experiencing much more than what I'll ever experience in life. But, um, but we, we tend to minimize things when they come to us and we're like, Oh, I saw so-and-so drinking out on their front porch or something like that. And we're like, Oh yeah, people do that. But to them, they're like, that's bizarre. Why are you outside in public drinking in front of other people? But for them, that may be culture shock. So Don't don't minimize what their experience is, and just kind of talk with them like, yeah, hey, some people enjoy having a drink on their front porch or whatever the case is. You know. Well, I think
1: parents get uncomfortable too, and again, it it may be uncomfortable for you, but I would rather go through an hour of being uncomfortable talking with my kid than my kid be thirteen and pregnant, exactly, or fifteen and strung out on drugs or shot because they was running around with a game because they thought that was what was cool because that's what I saw on TV.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it,
1: even recently they had that incident. Um, I think it was down in New Mexico or somewhere um, where the 13 year old kid got shot like first day of school. Oh, wow. It's already starting to take place because yeah. again, no emotional control. Everybody's impulsive. Everybody's quick to react. And really a lot of it comes down to a lack of training and, and talking and building these kids up. And we just kind of let them, do whatever they want,
0: right? Yeah, I I would much rather have an hour long uncomfortable conversation with my child than them being on you know MTV on you know sixteen and pregnant or Teen Mom or whatever the case is. You know, it's 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 unfortunate that these platforms kind of take it. Adv- not kind of. They definitely take advantage of these people, these young kids that are coming from you know broken homes whether they're mm-hmm. you know poor and don't have outlets or they're rich and their you know parents just you know don't give two shits because they're at the fucking louis vuitton store or whatever the case is you know there's a lot of these platforms that are kind of glamorizing these things and 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 taking advantage of these kids when all you had to do is have a conversation w- with your kid which should have been taking place to begin with
1: mm-hmm. if you spend time with your kids and that's one thing i look at too um and even like even when I do therapy with kids, we I don't do a lot of traditional sit in the office and talking about your feelings. we get out and do stuff because if you if you participate with your kids, they're gonna talk more than you know. And if yeah. you're if you're willing to listen, I've had kids where I play video games with them, we go fishing, we go hiking, and we're having so much fun, they don't even realize how much they're talking. Right. And I'm just picking up the pieces on the information and that gives me the building blocks to figure out what we need to discuss and talk about, even though they said 20 minutes ago they're fine and then 20 minutes later, all this trauma and all these other things come out, but they just having so much fun interacting with somebody that they don't even realize that they're talking as much as they are.
0: Right. Exactly. Well, look, Kristen, I really appreciate you coming here. You're more than welcome to come on anytime. And I'm sure I'm going to have a million more questions for you in the future. So um, uh, anything you want to we'll plug? Be- Sorry, go ahead.
1: So we'll definitely do this again for sure.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Anything you want to plug before you get out of here?
1: Uh, no, I think, uh, I think everything's good. Um, like I said, I just encourage everybody to continue to learn, educate yourself, understand who you are and then understand who your kids are. Um, and then just, just be nice to everybody.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Big takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. Much love to you and everything that you're doing to help out the youth and everything, man.
1: Definitely. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure for sure.
0: Yeah. Thanks for being here, man.
1: Not a at all. I'll, I'll speak with you again soon.
0: Yeah, talk to you soon, man.
1: All right, right, bye-bye. Bye.